So church family, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, how good it is for us to be here. Uh, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. Help us to have a hunger and a thirst to hear from you, not just today, but every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We are a people inundated with information. Information scientists have done studies to say that from 1986 to 2011, the amount of information that we process has increased five times. They say that we process 34 gigabytes or 100,000 words of information just in our leisure time. Information scientists say that we process 74 gigabytes or 16 movies worth of information every day. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because of information, we have learned how to filter things out. For example, right now, you're going to do your best to pay attention to Pastor Dustin, and I'm going to do my best to communicate in an engaging way, but you're going to have to filter things out. You're going to have to filter out our furnace. You guys know that if you've been here. You're going to have to filter out the squeaky fan. We'll see if it squeaks today. You're going to have to filter out your watch if it goes off, the buzzing in your pocket. You're going to have to filter out the kids that you might have in Kidman. Is that mine screaming? Are they going to call me back? We know what it is to try to stay in tune with something because of all the information coming our way. You know, psychologists have a word for this. Uh, They've called it the cocktail party effect. Have you heard of this? Um, So that if you're at a cocktail party, what you naturally are doing is trying to stay in tune with your conversation while filtering out every other conversation. That's the only way that you can carry on. And the reason that's important is because, well, distractions have consequences. For example, if you've been at a cocktail party and you're carrying on a conversation and you're distracted because you heard your name or or something juicy they were talking about, and you have to go back to that other person like, uh, sorry, what were you saying? If you're at a conference meeting and your cell phone is going out or you're watching the game, you know, kind of through your cell phone and the boss says, what do you think about it? You got to make something up. If you're in a classroom, you're wondering what the friends are talking about or what's going on in the hallway, you might get called out and not do so well in that exam or that test. Distraction has consequences. Well, today we're talking about focus and Focus is important spiritually as well, and distraction has consequences. (laughs) What I love is that in these moments, we get to focus all of our attention, all of our time on the beauty of Jesus, our Savior, and there's truly nothing better. And I consider the power of when we get this right. There's an example of someone who got this right. His name is Peter. And he saw Jesus doing something incredible. Jesus was walking on water, and Peter, bold as he was, says, Hey, I'd like to do that. Jesus, do you think I could come walk on water? And sure enough, Jesus says, Come on. Let's see how you do. And for a moment, he was walking on water. He was just like Jesus. That's the power of focus. And if you've ever been spiritually aligned, sometimes you have these periods of like nirvana where it's, I can do anything because God Almighty is with me. Then he got distracted. And the account says this. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink and he cried to the Lord, save me. A couple things happened. Number one, 
He wasn't doing the incredible anymore. He was sinking, right? Wasn't confident. Number two, he was afraid. He lost his peace. And so if you're taking notes, here's our first fill-in. Focus on the right thing affects our peace, doesn't it? And focusing on the wrong thing steals our peace. You ever had a day where you had so many things go right, the sun was shining, people were kind, but it was that one thing that you thought about, that one comment, that one thing that happened, and because you're focused on that one negative thing, the whole day is wrecked. I saw a reel recently how you milk five minutes of your day, that five minutes that is bad, and you call the whole day bad. Has that ever happened to you? Or, or then I consider um, news. And I don't know your perspective on news, but there are a lot of people I talk about that say, I'm just kind of done with news. Because <laughs> when it comes to their focus, they are focused on the problem, but not so often the solution. And, and when I, I put my attention there, it doesn't go so well. And then I consider the fascination of places that have no Wi-Fi or cell phone coverage. Are you fascinated by these places? The Boundary Waters of Minnesota? Or maybe you've seen this show called Alone? And there's a part of me, friends, that wonder, I would rather risk starvation than being inundated by my cell phone one more minute. <laughs> I wonder how much of the appeal is just getting off of the grid and not having all this information inundating us all the time and being overwhelmed by it. Because focus affects feeling and has the potential to steal our peace. Well, peace is so precious, and that's why we've been focusing on that in this series. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Uh, just to uh, kind of tell you where we've been, if you want to catch up online, we've been talking about how peace can happen when we have truth over lies, when we're grounded in love and know that we are loved. Last week, we heard a beautiful sermon about deferring praise. Man is tested by the praise he receives. And um, in our growth group, we had a lot of fun talking about this phrase, to God be the glory. I don't know if you used it this week. It's just a great way of retaining peace. Well, today we're going to talk about focus and opportunities of time. We're going to meet two sisters. Their names are Mary and Martha. I don't know if you've heard of them. And they both have great opportunities. So Martha, her opportunity is to make a meal for the Messiah. Imagine the, the honor of that. Jesus is coming over for dinner. That's incredible. The other opportunity is to listen to Jesus as he's talking. To basically have the TED Talk with Jesus there uh, and soak up every word. And of the two opportunities, Jesus calls out which one is more important. And you might even know the answer. So let's get into it from Luke chapter 10. Uh, feel free to uh, look in the worship folders or um, on the screen. And uh, why don't we just stand today, get the blood flowing as we hear the word of God. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So our powerful words, maybe even familiar words. Can you say out louder to someone next to you, there is one thing needed, 
there's one thing needed. All right, please be seated. So there's actually a book written about this topic. I, I don't know if you've heard about it. Maybe there are some have read. Anyone heard about this book, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World? Okay. Um, there's an illustration from that book that I wanted to share with you because I think it has some credence to what we're talking about. The illustration goes like this, that God gave a man one specific job. He gave him a wagon and three rocks that he was supposed to take up on a mountain. And he had specific direction of where the route went, how to do it, and how to get there. The man joyfully set out on his way, three rocks in his wagon. Here we go, serving the Lord. Along the way, he went through a village, talked to people. They heard that he was taking rocks up on a mountain, and one of the villagers said, well, I have a rock I want on the mountain too. Do you think you could take it? He acquiesces, I'm going there anyway. Throw it in. He meets another villager. Similar circumstance. I have a rock. I'd like it to go to the mountain. Do you think you could take my rock? Happens again. Can you see where this is going? Happens again and again and again to the point where now his wagon is filled with many rocks. It's no longer a light wagon. It's a heavy wagon. And on his way up the mountain, he gets bitter and resentful. He's like, God, why did you give me such a hard task? I can't get up the mountain with this wagon. And so God actually comes down. And God investigates the wagon, and he sees a rock that he didn't give the man. Where'd you get this one from? And he tosses it to the side. And this one? Tosses it to the side. He takes all the rocks that weren't given by him, whittles it down so the man has three rocks left, the three original rocks, so that thankfully this man can cheerfully go on his way, get up that mountain. Now what's the point? The creator God made you for a specific purpose. I hope you know that. You have a job to fulfill that he wants you to be faithful with based on the talents in the place that he's called you to. He's given you three rocks. But we get distracted. And sometimes the reason we get burnt out, sometimes we're, the reason we're not doing the one thing needful is because we're doing things he's never called you to do. And so here's the first takeaway. If you're, if you're taking notes, stopping the noise of life is about prioritizing your unique calling. We call this the doctrine of vocation, that God has you in a certain place, in a certain job, in a certain family to fulfill the, the certain purposes that are unique to you in that place and time. A great example is if you're married. Do you know it's God-glorifying to work on that marriage, make that marriage work, and try to be Christ to your spouse? That's the goal in a married couple. If you have kids... It's a unique calling. God wants you to be the very best father, the very best mother that you possibly can be, showing Christ to them, and it's God glorifying also to share the word of God with them, prioritizing around that. In a job. You might have a job. And it's not bad to look for another job. Now, I would warn you that the grass isn't always greener if you're caught up by that syndrome. But you have a job to do. And if you have a job, yours is to go to that job 
Be the very best employee you can be. Be salt and light in that arena as your confession of faith to glorify God. Now, I could go on and on about various circumstances of life. If you're a student, obviously that means that you're going to go to class, do your homework, do your very best. If you're retired, uh, you have a little bit more freedom there. Uh, just like if you're single, you have a little bit more freedom there. But the same idea is to glorify God. What we're not to be is distracted. And I don't know about you, but it's so easy to get distracted. Living in the Chicago area, sometimes I go on Ticketmaster, and I think of all the things that I could possibly do in a weekend. And then the weekend goes by, and I've done none of them. And, uh, and, and you and I, we struggle with FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. Oh, man, if I would have gone to that game, that concert, that thing, that hobby, that all these opportunities that, that flood our lives. And you might might be distractions for our unique calling. I consider the call of the Apostle Paul. Uh, very clearly, he was called to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. That's recounted in Acts where it says, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of the Israel. And um, he was a tent maker. But if he was only trying to be a tent maker, that would have been a distraction from his calling. He was a Pharisee. If he wanted to revert back into his old religious point of view, that would have been a distraction from his calling. God had a very specific mission to fulfill, to be the one who shared the gospel to the Gentiles. And to the degree he did that is when he was on point. Now, back to Martha. Martha maybe identifies, you know what, I'm a good host. I know how to make a mean meal. And what's interesting is she doesn't pick something bad. It's not bad. It's not like she's, you know, going off to Vegas or going off into sin or I'm just going to do something completely selfish for myself. No, she's making a meal for the Messiah. And I had a fun dreaming about, like, and I wanted to ask you, if Jesus came over to your house, what would you serve him? Feel free to tell a neighbor. What would you serve him? just serve him. Anyone else say steak? Yes, I like that. I'd pick steak. I would go and I'd get the best cut of steak, right? And I'd probably fire up the grill. Everything on the grill is a little bit better. I'd put potatoes on the grill. I might even add asparagus. I bet Jesus likes vegetables even if I don't. And I'd want it to be good. And the great thing about steak is that you can undercook it, still good, right? <laughs> you can overcook it, well, you shouldn't do that. But anyway, it's still good. Steak, right? And if Jesus were coming over, you'd probably care about how the meal turned out, right? You'd probably want it to be tasty. In fact, if he came over to your house, you'd probably care if the house was clean, if it was decorated nice. You'd care about all those things, right, so we can relate to Martha. In fact, let me take it further. The Greek word for her preparations is the word that can be translated ministry. Now, who would argue with the, the beauty of ministry? In fact, we just had a teen retreat which is why if you see sleep in my eyes, it's because we're hanging out with teens for a while. But anyway, we just had a teen retreat, and we tried to tell them, you're made for ministry. We tried to tell them, God shaped you on purpose for a purpose. 
And we tried to enlist them into their congregation, say, go to your pastor, here's why I can serve, because the body of Christ, they need you. They need you to consider uh, serving in the church. It's something you hear at Amazing Love quite a bit. We always have volunteer opportunities. We even have a phrase. We say, if you're not serving, you're swerving. Because you're not connected to the body. You're not connected to the mission that God has for you to do. There's the glory of public ministry. I am a chief trying to find uh, young men for the ministry, young men to be pastors. Love doing that. Our family encourages our daughters to ministry. It's a great, great thing. But if all you do is serve the Lord, you never listen to the Lord. You missed it. If a church member only comes to church because they have a volunteer position to fulfill, you've missed it. If a public minister is more concerned about carrying the word of God rather than listening to the word of God, they've missed it. And that becomes so clear in the story. Martha picked a really good thing, but... Mary picked what was better, and because she picked this other thing, this less thing, there were consequences. Did you see the consequences for Martha? So Martha gets to a point where she gets upset, and Martha's so upset, and, and she's so anxious, as Jesus said, you're worried and upset, that she has the audacity to tell Jesus what to do. So the guest he wanted to honor she now shames by saying, Jesus, can't you see my household? Like, can't you use your authority? My sister should be helping with this meal. And it reminds us of all the times, like that guy with the wagon, God, why'd you give me such a hard task? That in our distraction, we get frustrated. And it may not even be a God thing as much as an us thing, because we have failed to prioritize. And so do you remember Martin Luther's explanation to the third commandment? Love these explanations. Grew up memorizing. Maybe some of you did as well. Martin Luther said in regards to remembering the Sabbath, we should fear and love God that we may not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. And if there's something to repent of today, it's to repent of all the times we haven't prioritized hearing the word. We haven't come hungry for the word. We haven't daily read the word. Because consider our Savior Jesus. The one time when his parents couldn't find him and they thought he was at fault, he was doing what? The one thing needful. And I bet they never forgot that. Don't you know? I had to be in my father's house. I had to listen to the word. Jesus, you know why he was walking on water? Because he was known for sending his disciples off and saying, you guys got to go ahead because I just need some alone time. I need to meet with my father. Jesus, before his greatest work on the cross, where was he memorably? He was in the garden and he was meeting with his father. He needed to hear his father's voice. Now, because he did this perfectly, 
because our salvation is contingent on him, we are credited that perfection simply through faith. How great is that? But also, we need to remember that the most important work was accomplished by him. The most important work that could ever be done is not making a meal for Jesus. It's not carrying the name of Jesus. It's the work of Jesus on the cross. Because on the cross, every one of our sins is paid for. And sinners can be set free. And the reason we need to come again and hear again what Jesus did is because then we remember the greatest work, it's not anything I do. The greatest work, that was done by Jesus, my Savior. And I just get to be caught and held by him. And I know no other way to peace. When we focus on our responsibilities, what's up to us, there is no peace. When we focus on what he did, there is peace. As he sets sinners free again and again. But what if we learn from this lesson? What if on the other side of God's advice, we implemented this. Let's talk a little bit about what that might look like to implement these truths. And, and to talk about that a little bit, um, have you heard about the Ticketmaster crash of 2022? Big news story. Does anyone know why it crashed? Blame it on Taylor Swift. So many people wanted to hear about Taylor Swift, meet with Taylor Swift, that when concert tickets were released and I think it was a pre-sale, Ticketmaster couldn't even handle it. Now imagine if you had someone in your household that wanted to see Taylor Swift. Might not be you, that's okay. Imagine that you were one of the ones who got a ticket. Not only did you get a ticket, but you got a VIP backstage pass where that person in your household could meet with Taylor Swift. How happy would they be? How prepared would they be to meet Taylor Swift? Do you think they'd care about their outfit? Think they'd care about what they would say to Taylor Swift? What the conversation might be like between the two of them? I think so. Why did I bring this up? Good question. <laughs> Mary leads us into this understanding that when she meets with Jesus Christ, this isn't Taylor Swift. This isn't some pro athlete. This isn't the musician that you had in mind that you'd like to meet. No, this is the king of the universe. This is the Lord's Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the one who came at this point in time to teach us, and she was honored to meet with Jesus. In fact, something that struck me is her posture as she meets with Jesus. It says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Sitting at the Lord's feet, that to me is a posture of humility. A posture that says, you know, whatever you say, I'm just going to be here, you know, looking up. I'm honored to be here. Mary, who probably felt the pressure of Martha, right? Do you know when your sibling is annoyed at you? Pretty much. He probably knew what Martha wanted. But she knew more important was the honor to meet with the creator of the universe, the honor of hearing this word. And that's for us. Sometimes I think we just need to reframe. 
Do you know when you open your Bible, you get a VIP backstage pass that has more knowledge and more help than a thousand of the best conferences and a hundred of the best concerts. You get to hear from the Almighty God, the author of wisdom, who will guide you into paths that will be good for you and paths that lead to peace. When we come to worship, this is an opportunity for the living and the active word, the word that is alive much more than a newspaper, the word that is alive much more than a concert, the word that is alive to guide you and to give you supernaturally what you couldn't give to yourself. And so how do we stop the noise? We have to remember the honor of hearing from God. It's an honor to be here. But now I need to ask you, what is your posture for praise? What is your posture when you hear from God's word? When you come to God in his word, is your posture to sit at his feet or to stand above? You ever come to the Bible or come to God or come to a church and said, well, until God explains himself to me and makes sense to me, I'm not believing it. And preacher, you better make it pretty compelling. Is your posture distracted? Looking around. Well, I'm here. Don't know why. What's for lunch? Grocery shopping? Did I put that in Walmart Plus? Or is our posture to sit at the feet of Jesus? To come in and say, God, I don't deserve anything you got. But I'm going to sit at your feet, and I'm going to be like that woman who just said, you know, you give me scraps, I'll take the scraps. Because the scraps from Jesus better than anything the world's got. And it doesn't matter the preacher because they're all kind of funny. Because I'm just going to listen to your voice. I'm going to try to see through that preacher to get to you to hear your voice overall. Because if I do that, then I have what I truly need. A posture of humility that says, I'm going to get something out of this word. I don't understand half the words, but I'm not going to stop until I get something from this word. Because Mary would say, it's not just about prioritizing. It's about sitting at his feet. It's about the posture of praise. But I think the thing I thought about the most is what if Martha learned the lesson that Jesus was trying to put down? And we don't know the end of the story, but, but, but I had fun imagining, like, what if Martha stopped Right? So they have this interaction, Lord, help me. Mary chose what's needed. All right, Jesus, no meal for you. Now, hopefully she wouldn't have done that in a snarky way, like I just said. But what if she would have stopped from her prep? You think they would have still eaten? I think they would have still eaten or it wouldn't have mattered. And by the way, can Jesus make a meal? He's already fed uh, people in the desert for 40 years with manna and quail. He's already, you know, fed 5,000 and 4,000. I wonder if Jesus was waiting for her to say, okay, I'm not making a meal. And he'd be like, oh, I'm so thankful. I wanted to bring back some manna and quail for you guys. That was going to be my teaching. Um, or I wanted to get you a filet just to your liking. 
So this is so much better. Thank you very much. Whatever the case, if she would have stopped, the heart that she was trying to hold for Jesus would have been more apparent anyway because what she wanted was to honor the Messiah. And honoring the Messiah is not what we do for him. It's what we get from him. It's hearing his voice. And confirming in our hearts that what you did is so much more important than what I'm doing. What you say is so much more important than what I'm trying to say for you. Though we don't know the end of the story, this kind of correlates with another lesson that Jesus told. In Matthew chapter 6, he was talking about worry. And he was saying, don't you know, most people, they run off wondering and worrying, what am I going to eat and what am I going to wear and what am I going to do And then he refers to birds and flowers, and he says, man, man, don't you know, you're so busy running after those things and doing those things and getting those things and what's on the marketplace and what's on sale and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And do you remember his concluding passage, one of them? And so to conclude the whole thing, you guys are running and racing. You're distracted by the things of the world. He says, here's the goal. If you would seek first my kingdom, If you would seek first my righteousness, all these things that you're worried about, they'll be given. And and so there's this kind of confirmation that when we keep the main thing the main thing, when we hear Jesus consider his kingdom and his righteousness, the rest is going to work out. It's going to work out. Which leads us to our next step. Our goal for today is to continue to evaluate and refine your priorities around the one thing needful. I'd love for you to spend some time doing a time inventory where you're just honest with where most of your time is being spent and then ask the question, is it worth it? How does this thing help me with the one thing needful? Is this thing that I'm spending so much time, is it going to matter for eternity? This is a constant thing because we are a people so distracted. We are people so tugged in every direction, inundated with opportunity and information. And so stopping the noise, our last takeaway, it's by trusting that when you have what is needed, the other things will work out. If you center yourself around hearing God's voice, man, there's a part of me that says, your kids are going to be okay. If you send yourself around God's word, there's a part of me that just thinks, I think you're going to have enough money. If you center around God's voice, I think you're going to have food to eat and clothes to wear. I really do. I'm pretty confident. Because here's the reality if we don't get this right, we all have a breaking point. And there is no peace beyond that breaking point. If you're not real, with burnout, and when you don't have enough energy, you will sap your peace like nothing else. Do you remember when Elijah met that? Elijah, the man of God, serving in ministry. Man, he was almost flawless in scripture. And yet he served so well, so much, that he got to the point, he's like, I've had enough. Take me, Lord, I'm no better. I'm done. 
And what did he need? We needed food and a nap. But he needed to hear from God. He needed that gentle whisper. That's what revived him. May the Spirit show you that as well. In the busyness of life, may you know that you will be revived and refreshed when you hear his voice, the one thing needful. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, we have the opportunity to encourage one another with a common faith. Today, we're going to use the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.